Oh, Matt Dawson, we've been walking for days out here in the pocket dimension. These woods of wisdom, we get, I think we're walking in circles. We've been walking too long, Liam. My legs are starting to get tired, but you know what? I'm, I know the outcome is going to be worth it. So. The interview dimension is truly a labyrinthine place. That rock looks awful familiar. I'm almost certain you've been leading us in circles, but you know what? It's not... <laughs> Hey, we there's no map to, in here. <laughs> there's, it's true, there's no official atlas of the pocket dimension. We really should make one. But what's that? Do you see movement in the trees? Liam, I think I do. Swinging gracefully from branch to branch and landing in front of us. Who's this? It's city council candidate for Ward 9, Damon Can. Hello, everyone. Hi. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for meeting us here in the Woods of Wisdom in the pocket dimension. The interview dimension. <laughs> the interview pocket dimension of wisdom. Yes, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this is where, of course, oh, you know, we've been seeing a lot of city council candidates in this mm -hmm. interview dimension. Something must be in the air. Yeah. Uh, perhaps it's the magic of election season. <laughs> we'll call it magic, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the magic, the stress, yeah. the, the hard work, and uh, the spirit of democracy mm -hmm. brings us to this dimension today. Uh, well, hey, well, we got you here in the woods of wisdom. Mind if we ask you a few questions? That sounds good to me. Wonderful. Thanks for taking time um, from your adventuring mm -hmm. uh, to be here with us. Uh, so we're gonna, just going to start with some student stuff. We usually yeah. start with some student stuff as we're students. It's pretty close to our heart. That makes sense to me. So we know Calgary, uh, you know, far away and out of the pocket dimension, that <laughs> mystical land of Calgary. Uh, Calgary's had some ups and it's had some downs. Um, but as economic revitalization becomes kind of the... Uh, talk of the town during this election. What role do students, in your view, have in ensuring its economic revitalization? How can we empower them to participate in it? Yeah, I think that's a great question. As as we look at what's been happening in city in uh, Calgary over the last couple of years, we know we're going through recovery, and I think the biggest kind of the the headline is we can't do things the way we did it before. We need to innovate. We need to go down the road of diversifying. So I think there's a huge role for students to play because even as we move into the the new economy, right, adaptability and innovation are the key words. Everyone's queuing in on that. And that's exactly where we need our students to really have that opportunity to one, uh, to see a future in Calgary so we can encourage people to stick around and bring their talents and keep their talents here. And then two, just to give them those opportunities to invest in them and grow something uh, unique. Wonderful. Thank you. Dawson? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so I have a question. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you would like students to know about yourself and your campaign? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, <laughs> I guess, first off, uh, yeah, I was a student not too long ago. So I just finished my master's in public policy in 2018, which I guess seems like a long time ago now. But uh, yeah, so I finished that up there. I'm actually, I'm just got out of my 20s, so I'm 30 years old. So just bringing that perspective coming from schools not too long ago and just really seeing that opportunity, being in this stage of my career where I've gained experience, but I'm still looking to define it, right? And I think that's a similar position that a lot of students are in. I mean, one, they're just trying to survive uh, classes, finals, all that. But then also you want to think to the future and what you're doing next. So yeah, just being closer to that, experiencing that, uh, it really inspires me to, I guess, one, go into this as something that is Essentially, I, I haven't. We have some people that are coming into politics after having a full career. Uh, instead, I'm coming in really trying to work as hard as I can to really make a difference and kind of define the impact that I leave on my community. Absolutely, that is amazing. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for sharing that. Mm -hmm. 
How will you ensure that we're going to keep that we are keeping housing affordable for students? As you said earlier, mm-hmm. it's already a struggle uh, surviving. Things are already expensive for us. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, actually, last three years, I worked at the Calgary Homeless Foundation. So working in that affordable housing space and really learning about the full range of housing that we need. And, uh, you know, among obviously I was serving those in greatest need uh, at risk of homelessness. I mean, some students are in that situation, too. I don't want to lose track of that. But it is really about having a range of housing available so that people, whether it's renting, whether it's home ownership, there's options there. And I know a unique feature about Calgary is, I know many of us are well aware, there's the boom and bust cycle. But then the way having going through that is that we'd end up building more higher end rentals and uh, more uh, home ownership options during the booms, during the bust, the construction stops, or we just finish what we were doing before. So we have this imbalance of affordable housing, even on the lower or the middle end. And I think that's especially for students, that's a gap that impacts them directly. So what we really do need to do is one, there's options in terms of sustaining housing, so not just knocking it down, pulling up in a million-dollar home, uh, but then also looking at options uh, of new-built housing that can be affordable for students and others that, uh, that need that. Yes, absolutely. Very well said. Thank you. Liam? Yeah, I got a, f- a follow-up, if you yeah. don't mind. Um, when we talk about kind of sustaining housing, uh, of course, you need house, a house there to, be, uh, to sustain. Yeah. Um, when it comes to new housing... Um, I'll I'll I'll, I'll dev- dig a little deeper here. Are we talking mm-hmm. about? Um, obviously, there's this huge uh, discussion. A huge part of this campaign is the sprawl mm-hmm. versus densification. Yeah. Uh, would you like to take this opportunity to speak a little bit about that? Yeah. No, that's an important question. Especially, I'm running in Ward Nine, so we have a lot of established communities. I know we've got Englewood, Bridgeland, some older communities that have really seen a lot of great investment. And then we have other areas, Greater Forest Lawn, Ogden, which are established communities that have seen less investment. So I think it's getting that range. And is I guess, number one, speaking to your question, so urban sprawl, yeah, we don't want to see that. I think we have a lot of established communities that already have amenities and services available. So that's a great opportunity instead of having to try to build it all and then the extra cost in terms of infrastructure. So doing what we can to reinvest, reinvest in the current communities and, uh, and in terms of density, I think it's getting it the right mix, which is an easy thing to say here. Uh, but I think uh, as we listen to, because I, I res- the biggest thing in Ward 9 is a big place, a lot of different communities. So I think really learning and respecting the character of the communities. So when we speak to the Inglewoods and Bridgelands and Ramseys, so they have a unique feature that there's uh, heritage buildings. So doing what we can to sustain that. I know even the main street on uh, in Inglewood, 9th Avenue, you got the Music Mile, you got the Barley Belt. So really fun places. We've revitalized them and they're exciting places to be, but we don't want to push so far that they just become kind of dense areas, just a lot of apartments and high rises. So we want to respect the heritage, get that balance right. And so that means, you know, uh, renovating existing buildings where possible, building apartments where, I guess, where it makes sense. So trying to take that gradual approach so we get density. And then this might flow into another question, but even thinking about downtown, we want to revitalize downtown, get people downtown. So I think really focusing the density there, using those existing resources can make a big difference, opposed to just trying to go dense everywhere in Calgary. Perfect. Thanks. Um, Yeah, I think it's certainly a question that we're going to be Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm sure you've been asked many times <laughs> yeah. uh, in the last couple of weeks, um, but certainly something to keep in mind moving forward to our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, going to be a very different uh, city, uh, you know, in the next couple of years mm-hmm. with, with so many uh, so many seats turning over. I'm going to pr- uh, I'm going to uh, pivot here pretty hard uh, mm-hmm. into something that is uh, kind of a niche issue. It's a student issue, uh, but it's one that's very close to our hearts here at mm-hmm. Sitsa. Very close to my heart personally. It's a file. It's been on my desk for a couple of years. It's been on the desks of my predecessors. Mm-hmm. Um, 
are you familiar with the U Pass? Yep. Okay, the Universal Transit Pass for students. The U Pass. Our listeners, I'm sure, are all aware as well. They should have it on their phone on the MyFair app now. The U-Pass is negotiated between the institutions and the city, okay. uh, not between the students and the city. And our research has shown that this is the only major city in Canada where that's the case. Oh, Every okay. other city, students are in the room. Um, yeah. And we have worked diligently to make sure that our voices are heard in varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still remain not a, really a part of contract negotiations or even discussions when it comes to opt-outs or um, there's talk of, um, there's rumors of, of creating an individualized system where each school pays a different fee and it's not a standard contract that they all sign on to. Mm-hmm. Um, these are discussions, whether or not that, that those changes happen, that students should, you know, in our opinion, be a part of. Yeah. Uh, what role do you think council plays in getting students in the room on the UPass? Yeah, I think that, well, it's a unique issue. Obviously, you guys have more experience with it than I do. And I think that's the biggest thing to really listen. I guess maybe I'll ask you guys, too, because from I looked at it up because you highlighted it. So something I want to look into, I see that I think it was around 180 charged in your tuition fees. And then that compared to the adult pass, which is about 110 uh, monthly. So you get, I think, well, let's just get to the purpose. The, the purpose of the negotiations having the U-Pass is that students get a discounted rate for public transit. Uh, do you think that that's, are you getting a good rate or do you have concerns? Oh, maybe I shouldn't be asking that on air. <laughs> no, <But> yeah. <laughs> you absolutely can ask that on, yeah, on air. Yeah. Um, I'll tell, I'll tell anyone who asks. Um, <laughs> we uh, obviously we're students. Some, mm-hmm. some students are, you know, especially those who drive are, yeah. are sometimes less keen on paying it. Mm-hmm. But for the students who transit, they know it's a, they know it's a high, heavily discounted rate. Mm-hmm. They use it to participate not just as students. And we saw this this past year, um, getting grandstanding a little bit, but I'll try and keep it short. We saw this this past year when it was canceled. Um, there's a misunderstanding of the pass that it's used to get to campus. It is not used just to get to campus. Yeah. It's used for students to fully participate as citizens. And I think that's where the idea of it as a service mm-hmm. really comes in. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's where I see the value, especially as students, because we know it's a stressful time. Money's really tight. Uh, so, yeah, having that accessibility to get around the city to do different things, uh, to, you know, take care of your mental health, go, get out to parks, get out to other spaces and even just get to school. So I see the value in that. But, uh, yeah, to have those options, it's interesting, um, even if we as we think of different institutions, because I know um, I grew up in Edmonton and I had quite a few friends that went uh, went to Nate, uh, if I'm allowed to say that on here. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they went down that route and it wasn't the same experience as other because, you know, there's a lot of shorter programs. So paying into the UPass doesn't make as much sense. So. I'm wondering if there is value in terms of the individual negotiations, or, or do you see risks with that? Uh, well, you know, there's risks and benefits. We could be here all day talking okay, about yeah, the details yeah. of the UPass. Um, but the problem is that we don't get to talk about those okay, benefits. Yeah, we yeah. just don't. The conversation that I'd love to have with you offline, yeah. um, we are not allowed to have with actual actual city cha- uh, Calgary yeah. Transit, at least not in an authoritative manner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just between the institutions rather than the students. And, and again, every other major city in Canada, it's between the student association and the city, or at the very least, negotiated between the students as a whole. I believe in Edmonton, mm-hmm. um, the Edmonton Student Alliance it serves as a kind of a, oh, yeah. a starting ground for all of the schools in Edmonton to start their, uh, to talk, discuss as a group and start their work there and then bring it to the city. Um, but I do, I'm going to move on from the UPass okay. now. Um, there's, a, there's another issue that kind of pertains to students. Um, it's something that I've, I've talked to sitting counselors mm-hmm. um, about this over the past uh, two years, and 
Some of them have told me, oh, it's one of the biggest issues facing the city. Yeah. Others have told me it doesn't exist. It's just a myth. Is the brain drain real? Okay, yeah. I, well, through this campaign, I got to connect with uh, a few. We got to hold a youth forum, connecting with some youth. And yeah, I, as far as I... And I've actually heard it. It's interesting. I've heard it in the formal setting where you have pollsters and political people talking about it, saying it's real, they're seeing it. And then actually talking to youth and saying, yeah, this is real. When I look at Calgary, I grew up here. I love the city. But I don't see, one, job opportunities. And two, the other point that came up was arts and culture. That that's an incredibly important part of keeping people... Uh, in Calgary, specifically youth and young adults, um, especially in that stage of your life, you want to get out there and do things and experience the world. And that's, you know, different cultures, different experiences. So I think that's something that we need to invest in. And well, number one, obviously the jobs piece, do what we can to bring a new prosperity to Calgary. So that means diversifying, uh, investing in different fields. We're seeing that in the tech sector and film sector and others like that. Uh, we're also building on the experience of energy. So doing what we can to help innovation in energy, use the talent that's existing, but also diversifying. And then number two, talking about arts and culture, I think investing in that makes a lot of sense to really, I guess, as we're talking about the arena is one, as one example is bringing world-class talent to Calgary, uh, but then also investing in arts commons and, and more grassroots efforts too. Because I know a lot of, uh, quite a few of the youth I spoke to, they're actually involved in the arts. They want to make a career in it, whether it be film or graphic design or photography or, vide or videography. So really investing in those to give the grassroots go right, right from high school. There's opportunities to showcase your work, build your strengths, get to that next level, and also bringing world-class talent. So I think those are two things we need to invest in and really be conscious about. Yeah, wonderful. Um, I actually, I'm, I'm glad you answered the follow-up, which is if it's real, <laughs> how can we retain graduates and attract new talent to the city? Mm -hmm. um, it, it, speaking to that, do you have anything uh, else to add there? I think you kind of answered the question a little bit there. Um, yeah, yeah, I think more, yeah, investing in the innovation, uh, creating a space for that. And, uh, and I think a piece of that is also um, having a competitive tax environment, You're doing what we can to look at regulations, make sure we make way for people to invest in something and create something special. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Dawson, you want to pivot a little bit here? Uh, we're going to move into general city issues. Here. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And staying on the topic of transportation from earlier, mm -hmm. my question for you is, what is your stance on the Green Line? All right. That's an important question. I, so I do support the Green Line, I think. I mean, it's unfortunate, I guess, for myself, because yeah, I did a master's in public policy, kind of studying that piece. So it's unfortunate that the debate has taken so long and that it's, there's been so many different messaging and all that. But it is good that we've got it approved. It's a great opportunity to get provincial, federal dollars in Calgary, creating jobs, creating uh, affordable, accessible transportation to help get more people across the city. Uh, looking at the current plan, I appreciate that we've approved a section, just getting that done. And so that's going in the southeast. Uh, what I'd really like to see if we can get that all the way to the South Health campus. I know there have been concerns that people would say that it's a train to nowhere. Um, I wouldn't completely agree with that. But I think getting access to the South Health campus would add a great value to that train line. And then also looking what we can do to do to go north. Uh, but we know there's quite a bit of complexity in that case, going through the downtown, crossing the river. So I appreciate where we're at. We have it approved. And now we can uh, go forward stage by stage. So according to demand, according to our financial ability, we can continue to build out. And that's something that uh, I appreciate and a priority I will keep just public transit expanding that. Oh, wonderful. Uh, speaking of accessible transit, mm -hmm. um, making sure transit is available. Um, Accessibility, uh, you know, means different things to different folks. But mm -hmm. 
there are certainly uh, individuals who, who, whose accessibility to transit are, is much lower than the average uh, citizen. Um, what actions will you be taking or, or do you think council can take as a whole to improve the availability of accessible public transportation for individuals with mobility issues? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I know, um, so I used to work for the province and I worked at Disability Supports. So it was a great opportunity to actually connect with people with lived experience of different disabilities and also their parents, caregivers. Uh, so really get that context. And one of the biggest things that I learned through that experience is that when we can help people at the farthest end of um, accommodations, we can help everybody before that. So even, for example, when we're looking at sidewalks, making sure they're cut so people can, can come up and down. So that helps people that are in... Um, with accessibility issues, whether they're in wheelchairs or motorized scooters or whatnot, but then also helps the person that might have broke their leg and are on crutches. So doing what we can to really meet the needs of those uh, that need help with accessibility is important. And in, for the city, I'm glad that I know I've had the opportunity to speak with some of the folks that work in the accessible, accessibility area. So it's good that we continue that work and just make sure that as we look at our corridors and our main means of transportation, that there's walkability, bikeability, well, and that's the fortunate bikeability, walkability, um, rolling ability, I guess, is one way to put it. But uh, make sure that you can access the different quarters, access our public transit, and make sure people can get around the city. Phenomenal. Um, I think I'll, I'll push a little harder on that. Mm -hmm. How how do you think, uh, I, th I think that's an, a wonderful goal. We want to make sure there's access accessibility, especially to our major corridors. Mm -hmm. um, how does Cancel go about that? Yeah, I think it's number one, working with the city, uh, working with the team, because I know, yeah, I've met the folks that have, that's been their focus for years now, uh, talking about accessibility, moving it forward. And I know even in my neighborhood, I live in Albert Park, Radisson Heights, so right in Ward 9. And I know just this summer, they've, you know, they're redoing some of the sidewalks. So uh, investing in that to redo the sidewalks, make sure they're accessible, because we know that's such an important part, even going through the pandemic walkability ability of people to go th outside explore the city connect to services so i think yeah focusing on that uh the yeah the i guess the sidewalks and that piece making sure they're accessible and uh yeah hopefully that answers your question yeah thank you okay um I'll, i'm also i'm gonna uh, end, close out the city issues session okay. section here with one more question um and it's, it's a bit of a tired one, so mm -hmm. we won't take too long on it. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it pretty short. Um, but it's something that I'm sure everyone's been asked this year uh, and then this election, mm -hmm. uh, most certainly. Um, when we're talking about council influencing the wards and influencing the city, mm -hmm. um, when we're talking about accessibility of transit and transportation, we're talking about densification mm -hmm. uh, versus sprawl, really when we're talking about how we develop the city in the yeah. future, um, you may, you may, uh, have already guessed I am walking myself towards <laughs> the guidebook for greater <laughs> communities. Um, what's your stance? How do you feel? I know it's being debated at, at length yeah. and ad nauseum at this point, but yeah, we'd be, uh, we'd be fools not to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. You basically have to, uh, yeah. So there obviously a lot of, um, feedback and it, it's, a, I guess, the challenge of it, we know it's something the city's been working on for years, and I think just scrapping it isn't the best choice. Uh, I think the number one issue that it comes down to is a lack of trust. So challenges with engagement, members of the community who've gotten informed, gotten activated, and have tried to sow into it, but haven't seen any of that come to light. So I think that's been the biggest challenge. So I'm glad that we en ended at a point at, as of right now where we didn't make it binding, 
because I know there were concerns and we need to give that flexibility to respect the character of each community. And uh, so, yeah, I think keeping it non-binding and then now the next step is to then go into the local area planning. So I think that's the opportunity where we really do get the communities back on board. And specifically in Ward 9, we've got, well, we got one that just got approved. Um, but uh, we have one in for Inglewood Ramsey in that area that uh, hasn't gotten approved, has largely gotten stalled. So I see that as a major opportunity to actually walk out the rebuilding trust and getting community back engaged. So I think that will be a, that will be a major priority for me. I believe there's also one in Ogden that's being worked on. So taking those opportunities to actually walk out that rebuilding trust. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Um, I'd like to close out with a, a, a brief question from, from Dawson here. Mm-hmm. Yes, hi. Uh, we're going to close off with a question to do with reconciliation. Mm. Um, so with reconciliation in mind, m- many Indigenous communities in the city struggle with barriers such as mental health and um, addictions. Mm-hmm. What is your stance on giving back to those communities to ensure that they're not only being spoken for, but supported through various resources in the city that, that can provide so they aren't being left behind? Yeah, that's an incredibly important question because uh, I've worked in the kind of social services area. So I helped with the, uh, the Canadian Mental Health Distress Line, worked at the Calgary Homeless Foundation. And even just over the last three years, which is where we're at as a nation, as a city, is really, I think the key word is self-determination. So that's where we need to get to. Because what we've done is have our, our essentially, I guess, just mainstream services available for everyone. Uh, but we know we've been doing that for a while. We know the impacts of generational trauma and how that's impacted Indigenous communities, that w- the mainstream services can only help so much. So we need to sustain those, but really take every opportunity we can to move into self-determination. So that's where we're helping Indigenous agencies, organizations, and businesses really take take that service area for their own, because then they can sew in the culture and the history, which also has a huge impacts on the Indigenous families in that piece. So as we talk about truth and reconciliation, really um, having that self-determination. So it's Indigenous communities that are taking that back. And then there's that ownership and that's and there's that um, responsiveness to actually experiencing it, having the culture and the history of it to really then help the healing and recovery in a way that we've tried to do, but we've seen the limits. So I think, so we need to move down that road of self-determination and having that Indigenous-led piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I, I, we should let you get back to your journeys and your adventures <laughs> here in the interview dimension um, and, and return to the woods of wisdom. But uh, before you go, uh, Mr. Damon Can, mm-hmm. I would th- thank you very much for taking time for mm-hmm. us today. Um, had some wonderful, wonderful conversation. Do you have any questions for us, comments, any closing statements? Um, no, well, I guess, yeah, closing statements, just thank you for having me. I'm excited to see, you know, Sate and, yeah, the, your team taking this leadership role. I know there's so many candidates to interview, so good for you for just taking this on, doing the work during the semester. I know you got all that going on, too. So, yeah, big thank you to, uh, to you and your team. And I think, yeah, for those that are interested in learning more, you can go to my website, damoncan.ca, and then you can also find me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And, yeah, love to connect, so feel free to reach out and... Uh, Yeah, just a big thank you to you and the team. I know you got more interviews today, so we'll leave you to it. Awesome. Thank you, Mr. Ken. All right. Thanks. All right, Dawson, uh, shall we continue on our our walk? We shall. We shall. Where to next? Oh, I don't have a map, but I keep getting us lost, so you tell me. Well, just as long as I don't see that familiar-looking rock in an hour. (laughs) You know, there could be more than one rock. Just point in a direction. We'll we'll go this way. We'll go left. We'll go left.